you've finished your fine cut, edit's looking nice, looking tight, and that's it now. You are ready for the online, otherwise known as the conform. Uh, it has many names. What are you doing now? What's happening at this step in the process? Listen in. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Video Editing Podcast from Unsplice with me, your host, Shiny. I am the lead trainer and founder of Unsplice. And this is part four of a four-part series explaining a professional video editing workflow. Everything that you want are going to go through every stage of the process from the moment you receive the footage to the moment you deliver to a client in an industry workflow. We're talking documentaries, commercials, other long form stuff as well. And part one was the assembly. So you learn everything about an assembly and what you're gonna be creating in that. Part two was the rough cut. Part three was the fine cut. And this episode is part four, the online. Otherwise known as a conform and it goes by other names as well, but this is essentially the point where you have reached picture lock. Once the fine cut is finished, you reach picture lock. That means no more changes to the images, no more changes to the duration, the number of the shots, the edit points of those shots, because now everything is going outside to have the color grade, the sound and everything else done. So now that we're at this stage, what are all of those processes of the online and what are your roles as an editor and what should you be doing? But if you ask the internet, how do I get better at editing so that I can work on high-end docs, commercials, branded content, and music videos, then you'll find the same terrible advice everywhere saying all you need to do is practice, but it's so vague. I mean, what are you actually practicing? It was Einstein that said the definition of insanity is to do the same things over and over again and expect a different result. Well, if you keep practicing the same thing over and over again, you'll find yourself stuck in the perpetual practice loop. You'll find yourself demotivated because after working on an edit for over a week, you'll watch it back and you know it could be better, but you just don't know how. And the industry has an unwanted term for editors who struggle to come up with creative ideas, button pushers. If you want to break out of the perpetual practice loop, escape the label of button pusher and become an in-demand editor, then you need to excel in three skills. Efficient workflow, creative storytelling, and number three, client relations. Without efficient workflow, you can be the best editor in the world, but if somebody can do it faster than you, then your client is gonna choose them. Without creative storytelling as a skill, you'll struggle to come up with creative ideas and you'll find yourself stuck cutting jobs that you find a bit boring. And without strong client relations, your income will be unpredictable and stressful as a result. Once you have these three skills, You'll find that work comes to you. You'll find that you can choose the location and the hours that you work. 
So if you're ready to improve these three skills, head to unsplice.com forward slash pro to get seven days free access to Unsplice Pro. Inside Unsplice Pro, you'll find training specific to each of these three skills so that you can start where you need to improve the most. Now, this is a limited time offer. Depending on how this goes, this seven-day free trial may not go on forever. So if you want to get seven days free access to Unsplice Pro, head to unsplice.com forward slash pro. When you sign up, you will get seven days free access. You can try it out, see if you like it, see if you like the training, see if you like having access to me to ask any questions you like. Join the community, meet everyone. And if it's not for you at the end of the seven days, no problem. I would love to welcome you into the community. So head to unsplice.com forward slash pro to get your seven day free trial. So on to the podcast, we've spoken about all the three other steps of the professional video editing workflow. Let's now talk about the online. I've already just, I already just mentioned the fact that we're going to be talking about color grading and sound mixing. So picture lock really is that definitive state because in the online, you have to have picture lock. Nothing can change after this point, because if it does, then it's going to ruin whoever is working on the color grade because they are going to need time code specific um, clips and the sound mix. These are going to generally two different places. So it can't change because both then the color grader and the sound mixer have to completely redo their work. Um, so don't, it, it's just not a thing. You have to have picture lock. Picture lock is picture lock. Nothing can change after that in terms of the duration of the shots, the type of the shots that are there, and also the sound and the audio and everything else. So let's first talk about the sound. One of the main steps in the online is the sound mix. So in the sound mix, you are checking the levels of the dialogue, the levels of the music, the nat sound or natural sound, and the sound effects. So you want to make sure that each of those are hitting the correct level. Traditionally, they will um, be set at broadcast standards, but then for social media and things like this that are going on uh, mobile phones and things like this, then you'll find that you can pump the sound up beyond those standardized broadcast levels. And mixing and balancing is another thing that the sound mixer is going to do. If there is not a sound designer or a sound mixer on your project, then of course you as the editor will have to do these. So mixing and balancing really comes down to making sure that the dialogue and the music are not fighting with each other. The uh, frequencies, the EQ of different music suits the location. Um, you'll often find that actual music tracks themselves will get remixed by a sound mixer so that depending on the use, where that track is used in the edit, it will 
carry itself or hide itself. So you might want to pump up the bass, you might want to pump up the drums uh, in order to carry a beat because the edit is, you know, falling on those beats and you might want to carry that through, make it punchier, or you might want to actually dull down some of those frequencies so that you can hear dialogue better. And I'm not going to go into detail because that is a whole art to itself. But that's the basic principle. And balancing is very much the same. Um, kind of what I kind of what I just covered, where you're just making sure that the music and the dialogue and the natural sound and the sound effects are balanced in a way that is harmonious. So that what needs to be heard can be heard, and what is not so important kind of falls back into the background. And that is the main purpose of a sound mix. So that's your sound mix. If that is going out to a sound mixer, great. You have a sound mixer who's going to do the mixing and a sound designer who might drop in sound effects and risers and things like this to help with your edit. Those could be two different people. They could be the same person who's serving two different functions. Now, if there is no sound mixer or sound designer on the job, then of course you as the editor, that is your job. So we're talking short and small budget things, maybe some social media stuff. Um, it might happen on reels, for example, things like this. You might be tasked with just setting levels. And there are two ways of thinking about a sound mix in terms of what the client is going to ask. And this is the question that you need to ask the client when it comes to the sound mix. There is setting levels and there is the sound mix. And at a very, very basic level, you as the editor should be able to set the levels of everything. So the levels of the dialogue, music, sound effects, natural sound. That just means that the music doesn't drown out the dialogue the natural sound and the sound effects don't drown out or steal too much attention, just setting them up or down to the right levels. And that's it. That's setting the levels. And then a mix is playing with the EQs, playing with um, some other effects, maybe some reverb, denoise, all of these tricks, um, playing with the EQ, using all of that to give a really pleasing sound. That's your sound mix. You can, as an editor, decide to only set your skill level as far as being able to set levels. But if you want to take it an extra bit further and learn about sound mixing and integrate that into your pipeline, into your workflow, that is an extra skill that is not expected of all editors. But you might find joy in that. And if you find joy in that, great, do that. And then you can add that as, you know, a skill in your portfolio, it probably means that you'll get an extra day's work at the end of the job because it doesn't have to go externally. And you as an editor are probably cheaper than a sound mixer. So the client will be happy that you can do that to a degree. So there's two trails of thought for a sound mix, sound levels and a sound mix. Let's talk about color. Now, whether you spell it C-O-L-O-R or C-O-L-O-U-R, which is obviously the correct spelling, then you have two trails of thought with this as well. 
you have color correction, and you have color grading. Color correction is something that most editors will be expected to do to a basic level. Now, color correction is quite simply trying to get cameras from two different sources to look like they come from the same source. That's, you know, at a very basic level. You're just making sure that any shots that are really, really dark are not, and you can actually see what's going on in those shots. And any shots that look too bright, you're bringing it down so that all of the shots look like they are balanced. They look like they come from the same camera, they come from the same time of day, um, and nothing's too dark and nothing's too bright, and everything looks like, you know, if a, everything in one scene looks like it comes from that scene. Uh, so that's a basic color correction. And you may want to throw on a LUT. A LUT, if you're not familiar with the term, stands for lookup table, but it's quite simply a file or a reference file that color grading software can pull in and it applies color grading to a shot, to any shot. These are kind of a cheat code, if you will, uh, because if you ask professional color graders, they will not use a LUT. Um, so a LUT is kind of a cheat code and you'll probably hear this term flown around the internet and you will see people selling LUTs. You don't need to have LUTs as an editor. It's not a necessity. It is a cheat code. So if you need that time saving, then go ahead and buy those LUT packs. Um, but if you actually want to go deep, then that is color grading. We just covered color correction. Now color grading is where you look from a scientific perspective at completely color balancing every single shot. And there is a science to it. And if you open up a vector scope, you'll find that in any editing software, you've got the, uh, the red, the green, the blue, the RGB values. And so it's a case of balancing those. And the best color graders won't even look at the image. They'll just look at these vector scopes and use that to know how to tweak the grade. It is incredibly uh, difficult and it takes a lot of practice to become a fantastic color grader. Uh, color grader, colorist, same principle, same, same name, same thing. That is a skill unto itself. So likewise with sound mixing, if that really interests you and you want to go deep as a video editor and you want to get into the science of color grading, color correction, then you can do that and add that as an extra skill in your portfolio, get an extra day's work at the end of your job. You might be able to get away with charging a colorist rate, but if you're already charging as an editor, then they're probably going to want, the client's probably going to expect you to be charging an editor rate for your color grading skills. So you will be cheaper than an editor, meaning the client will be thankful. You'll be cheaper than a color grader, sorry. Uh, meaning the client will be thankful for that. And you'll get an extra day's work at the end because they don't have to send it out to a color grader. If that interests you, then take that on board. If it doesn't interest you, then no color, no client 
will expect you to have a full color grading knowledge. But color correction is something, a skill that you should possess as an editor. So those are the two trails of thought as when it comes to color as an editor. Let's talk about post-production. Now, of course, we're editors. Naturally, we work in post-production. However, when you talk to edit producers or other editors, the term post-production will refer to VFX, compositing, and motion graphics. Of course, like I said, editing does belong to post-production. It is post-production, so from a, you know, a top-down perspective, um, but within the edit suite, when we're talking about post-production, those are the things we're talking about. So let's talk about those a little bit more in depth. So VFX is going to be any crazy gunshots, explosions, um, blood splatters. These are all digitally created. All of those fall under the VFX category. You're not expected to be able to do those as an editor. But if you want to, and that is something you're interested in, then again, it's a fantastic skill to be able to have. I began my life in VFX, motion graphics, and uh, compositing. That's what I did for two years for a large post-production studio in London. And I learned a hell of a lot from that. I still carry those skills with me. And so if it comes to compositing, I can handle that. It comes to some basic VFX, no problem, got that. And motion graphics, yeah, got that, big tick. I'll talk about those other things uh, you know, as we go through, but having those skills is probably, in my opinion, more valuable to the client than being an incredible sound mixer or being an incredible colorist. From the, from the client's perspective, editors are, they're not expected to, but sometimes a client, if they're inexperienced, will want some things from an editor that actually fall into post-production, fall into VFX, compositing, or motion graphics. And it's nice to be able to say, I can do that rather than the client finding out midway through a project, we want you to do this. That's not something that I can do, sorry. You'll have to go out and find some, someone else to do that and that will delay the production. Although it's not your responsibility to have these skills, if the client doesn't know that from the beginning, then it delays the project a little bit. It, may, it frustrates them, it frustrates the client even though it's not even your fault. So it's nice to just be able to say, I can do that, yeah, no problem. It's gonna take an extra two days, three days, or however long it's gonna take. Um, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine, no problem. That's generally gonna be the answer, the reaction to that request, if you have that skill set. So in my eyes, having VFX compositing and motion graphics knowledge is a fantastic tool, a more preferable tool to have in, in your tool belt than color correction, uh, color grading and sound mixing. Let's talk a little bit about, about, about compositing. Sorry about that, my mouth is running on its own. Compositing is gonna be where you take several different plates 
In other words, different shots that are shot at different times. They'll probably look at the same thing and you composite these shots together. So you might want to, for example, let's say on social media, you'll see people who have a static shot and they've placed themselves four times around one room. So they just kept the camera static on a tripod, filmed them in one position, stop the camera, they move, start again, shoot again. And you can just cut those people out and then you have four people dotted around the room all in one shot. Well, that's compositing. The same is with keying. So green screen, keying out the, the green screen, rotoscoping, which is cutting out a, a part of the moving image, all of this, and then putting it onto other footage. That's compositing. A very, very useful skill as a video editor, something that you may not use all the time, but you will find it invaluable when it actually comes to doing it because you might want to overlay two different shots, cut something out, change something, crop something, scrub out a wire um, or a shadow that's come across or somebody's thumb. You know, being able to do that is a really, really good skill. This is all done in After Effects. And it's not expected of you to be able to do this, but it is a very, very good skill to have. And finally, motion graphics is um, any animations of 2D, generally 2D um, assets. So it can be 2D and it can be 3D generated, but the motion of those illustrations and those images um, is called motion graphics. This is a fantastic skill to have as an editor. And I would say the majority, probably six out of 10 jobs that I do will want some kind of motion graphics. It could be a very basic animation of a title coming in, or it could be a logo spin, or it could be something very, very simple as, as that. But it's useful to have. So just being able to go, yeah, I can do something basic. It just puts a good taste in the client's mouth. If they know that they can keep everything in house or you can do all of this stuff, then they're more likely to favor you in the future. But motion graphics is not expected. And if you can't do it, then you should say upfront, if that is part of the request, this is not something I can do. Of course, you could also go the other way and say, yes, I can do it. If it seems something very simple and basic, Yes, I can do it and then learn on the job. Just put in some extra hours in the evening to make sure that you're not behind schedule. Learn on the job and get paid to learn. I've done that as well, as well in the past and it works really, really well. So that's post-production. And part of this as well, I want to talk about titles because that is part of the online process. Making sure all of the titles are correct, they look good, they're in the right typeface, Perhaps they animate on, that would be motion graphics, and um, make sure everything is tied together. So that's all done in the online process, as well as locators. That might be the name of the place, for example, the name of the location, New York, might flash up, and then the next time we're in London. So making sure the typeface is correct across everything, all the spelling is done, and of course, subtitles, 
kind of falls into that category as well. Make sure you've got the same typeface across all the subtitles. Make sure all the subs are correct. The grammar is correct. And that is an integral part of the online process. All the bits that you were kind of putting off till the end, I'll sort that when I got the time. This is it. This is the final time. So that really covers all of the visual stuff. And then you also might want to consider markers. Now that the film is essentially ready to go, if you were to export this, it should be completely finished, no niggles, nothing missing, everything is perfect, ready to go out into the world. You might want to consider adding markers on your timeline that, com that correlate to chapters because you can use those in YouTube. If you upload to YouTube, you can use it in other platforms as well. Markers might be useful at this point. So make sure they're all lined up and they're correct. Um, if you are creating for ad breaks, then need to make sure that all those ad breaks hit the time. Make sure that all those ad breaks are in. Make sure that you've got the specific specified gap between all of those and the broadcaster will tell you and make sure you've got any slates at the beginning. A slate is quite literally um, just a text, a piece of text at the beginning and it's a card at the beginning that will just say all the details. So it might be the production name, uh, might be the production studio, the date, the name of the sequence. For example, this is sequence number 35. Um, and all of the other details that are necessary. Again, each broadcaster will have their own details that they need to see on that card. Um, so no point in me telling you what those are right now. But make sure all of those bits are there. The logos on the end, all of the sponsors have got their bits all over the place. And finally, rights and clearances because you need to make sure that all that footage that you pulled from the internet, you can actually use. The music, make sure the music that you've got, you can purchase licenses for. Now, this isn't your job as an editor, but you are kind of integral to it. Unless you are a solo, you know, you're a one-person band and you are doing absolutely everything, then you do need to make sure that you do have a license for all the things that you purchased, all the music, all of the stock footage, um, any anything else that you have put into that edit. If you pulled it from YouTube, then you need to make sure you get permission from that YouTuber to use their material. Super, super important because otherwise, if you put it out there and your video gets flagged and it gets taken down because you don't have rights clearances, then all of your hard work has been for nothing and then it's gone. So it is a boring but very integral part of the process. And now you can post it online, sit back, relax, and enjoy the fact that your hard work has paid off. You can send that invoice, get that paper, and rejoice in the fact that you finally finished this job. It might've been just five days work to get that far, or it might've been five months. So hopefully that clears up all of the steps of the process of a professional video editing workflow. And if you have any questions, please 
please drop them in the U on YouTube in the comments section. If you didn't know, this podcast is on YouTube as well as on all podcast networks. It's also on Spotify video. So if you are watching or listening on Spotify, you can watch us in video format. Hello. And please be sure to subscribe and like, and don't forget to rate and review this podcast as well. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a good series. Uh, tell me what you'd like to hear next. What is it that you are most stuck on? Thanks so much. Speak soon. Bye-bye.